All right. The story is about a guy. I need to give him a name. Give me a name. Joe. We really went creative there, didn't we? <laughs> All right. His name was Joe. Now, Joe likes high-vis, obviously. You know. He must have been a mine worker. And Joe got injured when he went down the mine. Yeah, you'll do. Okay. So Joe here got injured when he went down the mine wearing his high-vis. And his legs were done. They, the doctors came and looked at a doctor to examine his legs. And they were no good. They couldn't do anything for him. They tried to make him better, but they just couldn't do it. Joe was never going to walk again. He was paralysed from his waist down. That's so sad. But Joe had four really good friends. And these four friends, they used to come and visit him. Every day they'd take a turn, come and visit. And they'd sit with Joe and talk with Joe. They made sure Joe had some food and they looked out for him. They were really cool friends. Anyway, one day these friends were all together and they heard about a guy named... Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> John Cornelius. <laughs> Follow the story, people. (laughs) Now, Jesus was in a house, and there was a big crowd in that house. And Jesus was teaching. And and these guys heard of all the miracles that Jesus did, that people were healed. And they thought, you know what? We reckon Jesus can help Joe. So they thought, we've got a problem, though. Joe can't walk. So they got a blanket out. They laid the blanket on the ground. And they helped Joe onto the blanket. (laughs) Joe's not silly. (laughs) He may not walk, but he knows it. And they picked Joe up and they thought they'll carry him to Jesus. (laughs) The only problem is when they got to the house, they couldn't get in. It was like coming here. The car park was full. They were, the lounge was full, the hallway was full. They couldn't even get the front door open because people were crammed up against it. So they sat, they put Joe down and thought, this is ridiculous. He's got to get to Jesus. We know Jesus can help him. So one of Joe's friends had a bright idea. <laughs> she said, you know what? Because, see, where Jesus lived, they had flat roofs on their houses. They used to dry things out or they'd sit up on the roof in the sun. They said, you know what? If, if we take the stairs up to the roof, we can tear the roof apart and we can, let Jesus, we can let Joe down in front of Jesus. That way we'll get through the crown. Now, obviously, there was no electricity back then and wires running through the roof, which is probably just as well. So they took Joe up the stairs onto the roof They put him down on the roof because it was nice and flat. And they tore the roof apart. Bring him over here. We need a Jesus. (laughs) I'll be Jesus. And they let Joe down through the roof in front of Jesus. 
And everyone cleared out thinking, I don't want this guy landing on my head. So there's Joe. He still can't walk. (laughs) His friends are looking down through the roof at him. And you know what? It says that Joe got healed not because of Joe's faith, but because of his friend's faith. Said Jesus saw the faith of his friends. Because, I mean, seriously, they went to someone's house and pulled the roof off. <laughs> Think about that. If someone comes to your house and goes, you know what? I want my friend healed, so I'm going to pull your roof off to do it. Isn't that amazing? They went through all their effort of getting him there, and even though there was a crowd, they didn't stop. And so Joe gets healed. He gets to pick up his mat and go home. But Jesus said one thing before he healed him. He said that Joe was forgiven of his sins. See, sin lets in sickness, doesn't it? Yeah? And we'll talk about that in a minute a bit more. But Joe got healed because of the faith of his friends. Think about it. Your faith can bring healing to people around you, can bring breakthrough to people around you. You can be the influence. If you don't work by what you see, but by what God sees. Yeah? Cool. Where's our verse of the day? Here's our house. The roof feels a bit wobbly. Hmm, maybe that's a sign. Hey, Bella, do you want to help me here? Do you want to come and help me, Bella? Can you open up the doors? Well done. <coughs> it's from Galatians 6, verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. Yeah? And that's what the friends did. They took on the responsibility of that guy's healing. He couldn't do it for himself, so they took it on for themselves and brought him to Jesus. Pretty cool, eh? Yeah? So we say that together. Bear one another's burdens. Ready? Bear one another's burdens. All right. So you guys can now go out and you can make your own Joe. Don't have to make him high-vis like mine, but mine was a minor, see, so. And then you get to make him a little bed too, all right? Got a little stretcher. There's probably enough if you really want to. We'll bring him out afterwards and you can make your own little stretcher and take him home. Make your own little Joes. All right, so Naomi, do you want to follow Naomi out? Do you want to take that one for me? church today when was happening and last night... I had a vision, and I know now it was us, of these people and they all linked arms together. And in this linking of arms, we made a commitment to do exactly what Phil just spoke. I thought, oh, maybe it's a Monday night thing because it's a bit crazy, but I'll leave it with you. But, you know, it was like the Lord, the Holy Spirit was just saying, we can't move forward. I can't move forward without you. You know, you can't move forward without the person next to you. Like, we can't move forward if we try and do it on our own. And so as I was in prayer, we were all linked arms. <laughs> and there was, I don't know what we do, God will show us, but a real commitment to... Cool, I'm going to teach before we do that because it sort of ties in with that. Adal says, I want to talk about covenant. Our plan was to have communion at the end, you know. But, you know, between, Je- between Jesus, Anna and Dale, you know, my plans all get messed up. I do. I just roll with it now. 
<laughs> Absolutely, we'll keep having it. But I want, I want to talk to you, I want to talk about covenant, because we don't, we don't talk a lot about covenant, and you know, we do communion, and people sort of have this, this understanding of communion is Jesus' blood shed and his body broken and us in him and him and us. And, but I think we miss the key part in all of that, which is covenant. And I want to try and bring it back to really a really simple understanding of what covenant is. Because if you actually understand covenant, you understand who you are in God, you understand what you have in God, and you understand your right in God. Because the church in general has made, we've put covenant aside. You know, you can go to most churches now and they might do communion once a month. Yeah, I mean, we're in churches of Christ. Churches of Christ, it's, it's in our thing. We actually do it every week because of the value around it. But I even think then it's not understood a lot. But most churches don't do communion because they don't understand really what the covenant is that this is actually the central part of Christianity. And it's like, um, I still like Kenneth Copeland illustration, it's like the guy that wanted to travel from London to New York. And so he got onto a boat and he had enough money to, to buy his fare to get on the boat and that was it. Um, so he went and bought himself a loaf of bread or something. He bought a couple of packs of crackers actually and, and he bought himself a block of cheese with what he had left of his money and that was what his food for the trip because he couldn't afford to buy food on the boat. And so he gets on this boat and he's sailing across and he'd go and have his crackers and cheese and, you know, um, looking longingly through the windows in the dining room as everyone feasted upon the food that was in there and he'd go back and have more crackers and cheese and, you know, obviously it's a few days to take this journey and, and on the last day as they're sailing to New York, he was sort of standing on, he was standing on the deck and looking out and, and um, one of the stewards from the boat came and chatted with him and said, look, have we offended you or something that you didn't come and eat with us? And he said, oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's just that I didn't have enough for my fare. I couldn't afford the food on the, on the boat. And the steward just looked at him horrified and he says, the meals were included in your fare. They were all part of what you already paid. And this guy had been starving himself for days just to get to where he wanted to go. But that's how I feel the church is. That we have this, I've got just enough to be saved in Jesus. And everything else I can't afford. Everything else I have to work for. And we've actually built it into our church culture of earning our salvation. And we've, we've talked so much about being servants that we've forgotten that we're sons and daughters. And we've got into the world's way of seeing how we actually do church. And, and it seems that the more we unpack that, the more God unpacks more and God unpacks more and God unpacks more. And it's like, I always feel like, do we get to the end of this? Because he keeps bringing up more and more things. And, and so I feel like God speaks to me and I sort of go, Part of me goes, no, no, look, we're going too far. And then I actually get a series of dreams. And I'm going, oh, really? You know, because God will start to speak to me through my dreams. And, and he'll keep pushing it until I move on that thing. And it's almost like, oh, great, we're, we're moving on this. And then God says, no, we need to move quicker. And it's like, oh, you're joking. And so we unpack that part of it. And then another one comes along. It's like, does this ever end? But it's because we've lost our covenant. 
We've lost what the covenant means. And to understand covenant, probably the best way is to go back to, it, it's, it's a blood covenant. Covenants are made in blood. A covenant is an agreement. An agreement works like this. You know, if you do this, I'll do that. It's like if you buy a house. You sign an agreement, right? That's a covenant that says I, the buyer, will agree on the 30th of this month to pay you X amount of dollars for your home. And you, as the seller, agree to make sure that the home is in a ready state at that, on the 30th so that that transaction can take place. All right? That's a covenant. That's an agreement. But the covenant we have with Jesus is a blood covenant. A blood covenant is the strongest covenant. It's the strongest covenant you can get. A blood covenant says that if one party breaks it, the other party actually has the right to kill the other person. That's how strong blood covenants were throughout history. All right? It would be, you know, if Rhea and I made a blood covenant, then we would become family. Rhea's family becomes my family, and my family becomes Rhea's family. And that's sealed in blood that if anybody attacks Rhea's family, I have a responsibility to come and defend her to my death. All right? And it's the same with her with me. And so people would, you know, tribes or nations would make these blood covenant agreements between them as a protection. And if you broke it, if, I, if someone attacked Rhea and I didn't come and defend her when she's finished her battle and she wins, she has the right to grab anyone she likes, come and attack me and wipe out my whole household. So there is no trace of me. And everyone around me has the right to assist her. That's how strong a blood covenant is. Okay? It's serious stuff. That's what Jesus did on the cross. When he says, this is my blood, when he talks about the cup, when he talks about, this is my body, when he talks about the bread, what he was saying was, this is my blood covenant with you. My blood covenant with you. It's unbreakable. And Paul tells us that Jesus, because there was no one greater than himself, that God swore by himself. So if God breaks the covenant, he has to kill himself. Do you know that? That's how strong his covenant is. That he would have to cease to exist if he breaks his covenant with us. All right? Are we getting the serious of this? That's why we take communion, because it actually is to remind us of our covenant, of who we are in God. And it's us reminding him of his covenant to us. So what's in that covenant? Well, it actually starts right back at the start. Where's my Bible gone? The first thing you know, God said to Adam and Eve was, be fruitful and multiply. And gave them dominion. And then they sort of messed that up a little bit. Okay, a lot. But God kept his covenant. Because then he comes to Noah. And you know he said the same thing to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. And he blessed them. But then Noah's son sort of messed things up a bit. And you've got to understand that these people weren't perfect. Noah wasn't perfect. I mean, 
he goes through this whole arc thing, this amazing thing, rainbows and, you know, the whole story, and he gets to the end and he goes out and gets drunk. Pretty natural. <laughs> Pretty natural. Yeah, maybe just the, you know, it's all over now. Oh, give me something to drink. <laughs> it was the end of a long day. <laughs> but his sons, you know, one of his sons followed, stayed with him, but the other two sons didn't. All right? And it gets to the point where the world's starting to fall apart, and so God chooses Abraham. And see, so he makes a covenant with Abraham, and this covenant is powerful because that covenant actually carries over to today. And Hebrews says that even the old covenant that he held with Abraham, we are under a better covenant now. Now, I want you to understand before we go into the covenant of Abraham that Abraham was not perfect. It wasn't because of Abraham's righteousness. It wasn't because of him getting everything right. It was because of his faith. Because of his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. Not because of what he did. Because, I mean, he's the guy that lied his head off to try and save his own life. Betrayed his own wife. And then that covenant carried over to Isaac, who did the same thing as his father. And that covenant then carried over to Jacob. And Jacob was worse than all of them. Because he's a guy who deceived his own brother, deceived his father, and then ran away. And wasn't much better, and then met his uncle, who was as big a deceiver as he was, and the two had a big deception contest of who could outwit the other one. No ethics involved. See, we often think and we look at our own sin and go, oh. But you see, it's when they got a revelation of God and their covenant with him, all that stuff didn't matter. See, when Abraham tried to take his own heritage into his own, you know, God said, I'm going to give you a son, but he tried to make it happen his way. But God's covenant is powerful. Let me me read to you from... Genesis. Genesis 17. So we've got to get a revelation of not who we are, but who God is. Because that's the strength of our covenant. It's not about you. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your goodness. It's not about what you can do. You know that? It's actually about, this is the thing about our covenant. It's actually about who God is. It's not about you. And I've worked out that if you keep seeing yourself in the light of who you are, you're going to stay where you are. But if you get a revelation of who God is, you know, can I tell you how the agreement goes? It goes on your side, you'll be my God. And I'm going to bring all my failures, all my sin, all my wrongdoing, every part of my life that is absolute miserable failure to this agreement. And I'm going to exchange it for your might, your power, your righteousness, your holiness, your blessing and your favour. 
That's the agreement. That's the covenant. Because it's not about you. And so you can actually take the document that God's given you and go into any situation and say, I plead the blood of Jesus. Where you have lack, you go, it doesn't matter, I just plead the blood of Jesus. It pays for that. Where there's sin, I'm sorry, I just plead the blood of Jesus. It's paid for that. Where there's sickness, oh, no, I just plead the blood of Jesus. It's paid for that. Where there's accusation, I plead the blood of Jesus. He paid for that. That's how it works. That's the document you have. But you've got to get a revelation of who God is. And that's what Abraham gets. You see, when Abraham was 99 years old, so he's a bit of an old codger, he's pushing 100, you know. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. How does he walk before God and be blameless? When he's already done Ishmael. When he's already lied his head off. There's no cross to go to. Is there? Yes, there is. When was Jesus crucified? Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was crucified. Abraham had a revelation of God. You see, what happened in the natural had already happened in the spiritual. That's how it works. Does that mess with my head? Absolutely. But it's how David can be filled with the Holy Spirit. When people try and reason away, oh, it just came upon him. I'm sorry, but he said in Psalms, Psalm 52, 53... Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Well, if the Holy Spirit only came temporarily, how can he say that? You know, the Holy Spirit's not poured out until Pentecost. How does this work? We're going to stop working in our natural realm. God's been doing this forever. Salvation has been there forever. The blood covenant has been there forever. Anyway, that's a side thing. I'll get in lecture mode if I start going there. But he says, I am Almighty God. You know that word Almighty God in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. The breasty one it means. And if you want to take that right down, it means all sufficiency. All sufficiency. So the breasty one, it's like when you have a baby that is breastfed. That the woman's breasts provide all the nourishment that baby needs. Now, I like that the devil's tried to twist this. And I might turn some toes here, but I don't care. But the devil's tried to twist this and say, you know, you can go to some nurses now and they say, well, there's not enough in your breast milk for the baby and, you know, you need to add supplements and blah, 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 which is the biggest load of crock there ever is. And as a male, I know I can't say that because I'm a male and what do I know? But after six children and being around enough people who have breastfed children and all that sort of stuff, I'm sorry, but stick it up your nose. Because God provided enough. He's been providing enough throughout the generations before there was formulas. Mankind survived and thrived and did well and didn't have the allergies and the conditions that we all seem to have now. And research, good research, will tell you that children who are breastfed are more intelligent. So for those of us who missed out, that's all right. We'll get there. We have, 
we have the Almighty, hey? I missed out. That's all right. It was a different world. We have El Shaddai. But it means, it means the breasty one. It means the God who is all-sufficient, who can meet every single need. You see, Abraham knew God as Elohim, as just the God Almighty, the God overall. But here he gets a revelation of God Almighty, the breasty one, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the God who can reverse natural law, the God who can turn water in a jar into wine, the God who can take the sun and move it backwards. The God who can take any situation and turn it around and break the natural law to enact supernatural law. That's who Abraham has a revelation of and he changes Abraham's name to Abraham and he makes a covenant agreement with him. And it's a blood covenant. And that covenant says that whatever you need change in the natural, God can do it. You see, that's what we get from Abraham. That Abraham, that is the covenant. Because if you go to Galatians 3.13, it says that every curse has been born by Jesus. That's our blood covenant. And we'll go through, maybe we'll read those in a minute, what the curses are in Deuteronomy. Because they're pretty horrid. But every curse that is upon the earth has been born by Jesus if we will let him take it. It's already been done. He has taken your poverty. He has taken your dead. He has taken your sickness. He has taken every brokenness, every sin, and it's already been born and paid for in a blood covenant. It's not a part of your life. It's not a part of who you are. Every area where you think, I can't see a way through, God Almighty El Shaddai has already made a way through. That's the covenant we get through Abram is all the physical stuff. You see, through Jesus, we get a spiritual covenant. But through Abraham, we get prosperity. Because it says at the end of Galatians 3.14 that the blessings that are on Abraham are ours through the covenant. And what was the blessing on Abraham? That he will have everything he needs in the natural. That's why he was so wealthy. That's the covenant we have already done through Jesus. He releases the blessing of Abraham. Galatians 3.14, read it. Because he is El Shaddai, the breasty one, the almighty one. Jesus took the curse so the blessings of Abraham may be ours. So you are a descendant of Abraham. You're a descendant. He is your grandfather. You know, we sing the song, Father Abraham, and we just sort of sing it as a song because it's about moving arms and making kids get tired. That's why you do it in kids' church, I'm telling you now. (laughs) Nothing about teaching about Father Abraham, it's about wearing kids out. But in reality, we are all children of Abraham. So we don't have this Jew-Greek thing. That disappeared through Jesus. You get excited about that later when you realise what that means. Okay. Obviously, do you understand what the blessings are? Because I sort of feel like we're hitting the roof here, yeah? Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me read you some gross stuff. 
This is what you've been delivered from. And then I'll tell you what you've been delivered to. But if you come past, if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God, that was overtaken by Jesus. It doesn't apply anymore. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we read these and we go, oh, but what about my sin? Oh, I'm sorry, you've got a blood covenant. I plead the blood of Jesus. The only way you, you know, you obey the voice of the Lord your God, you say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior and choose to live for you. And Jesus knew you were going to mess up. That's why he said, wash the disciples' feet. He says, you're going to go through life, you're going to get your feet dirty. That's what messing up and sin is. But all you do is repent of your sin, confess it. All right, so just obey the commandments, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Verse 16, curse you'll be in the city, curse you'll be in the country. Isn't that lovely? Curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. See, your kitchen is done. Curse shall be the fruit of your body, as in your children, and the produce of your land. Any, any work you do, it's done. It's no good. It's useless. The increase of your cattle, the offspring, your flocks, all cursed. Not going to happen. Curse you'll be when you come in and curse when you go out. So sit down, don't go anywhere, because you'll be cursed if you move. The Lord is sending you a cursing, confusion, and rebuke you in all that you set your hand to. Isn't that exciting? You go to work and it'll fail dismally. Until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings which you've forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you. You won't just get it, it'll cling to you. And consume you from the land you're going to possess. Strike you with consumption, with fever, inflammation, severe burning fever, the sword, scorching, mildew. They'll pursue you until you perish. Isn't that lovely? And the heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. In other words, forget about praying, it's just going to bounce off the roof, hit the floor and bounce back up again and do nothing. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. The heaven shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcass shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt, with tumours, with scab and the itch which you cannot be healed. He'll strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. Are we feeling lovely here? You shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. Shall I keep going? You shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. You'll build a house, but you won't live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you won't gather in the grapes. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you won't eat it. Your donkey will be violently taken away from you. It shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies. No one to rescue them. Your sons and daughters shall be given to other people. Your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there'll be no strength in your hand. Blah, 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 blah. The locusts leak your food. Whatever, basically, whatever you do will be absolute dismal failure. If you don't have God. That's the curses that Galatians 3.13 is talking about. And it says that Jesus bore every single thing I just read out. Plus more. Every bad thing you can think of in your life, Jesus has actually borne for it and actually done a blood covenant that says it no longer applies to you. That whatever hard time comes your way, he has signed in a covenant a way through that hard time to goodness. I'm not saying bad stuff isn't going to come your way. I'm saying he has a way through already. 
Before it even comes your way, you can plead the blood of Jesus and take it to him and he will take you through the other side. To what? To the blessings. These are the blessings that were given to the descendants of Abraham. Anyone here a descendant of Abraham? All right, this is the blessing. This is what God says about you. God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verse 228, verse 2. And all these blessings, they won't just come upon you, they'll overtake you. In other words, they're going to run ahead of you so that as you go there, they're already in place for you to have more of them in your life. There'll be so many of them, you can't keep up with them. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, increase of your cattle, offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in, and blessed when you go out. The laws will cause your enemies to rise against you, defeated for your face. They may come at you one way, but they're going to run away seven ways. He'll command the blessing on your storehouse and all you set your hand. Your storehouses is your bank accounts, your investments, things like that. All right? He'll bless you in the land the Lord has given you. He'll establish you as a holy people to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. All the peoples of the earth shall see you are called by the name of the Lord and be afraid of you. The Lord will grant you plenty of goods. Isn't that cool? He'll actually grant you plenty of goods. That's stuff. You know, we go, oh, we can't have stuff. Why not? Abraham had stuff. In fact, he had so much stuff, he had an army to protect his stuff. And this army was so good, it took on four kings and wiped them out and took their stuff. Well, actually, no, he gave the stuff back to the people because he didn't need the stuff. How's that? I mean, let's get this to Abraham. Abraham goes down to Egypt. And he lies about Sarah saying, no, she's my sister, because she was sort of a half-sister, not my wife. So he sort of you know, told a bit of a white lie. Yeah, right because it's such a thing. And he says, anyway, Egypt, you know, the king, Pharaoh, has this his dream and you know, sees that you know, he's been wiped out and all this horrible stuff happening. And he wakes up and, and says to God, what happened? And God says, well, you've taken Abraham's wife. And so he comes to Abraham and says, what have you done to me? You lied to me. She's your wife. Because Abraham was scared that they'd kill him to take Sarah. I mean, she was old, and they thought she was good-looking enough to be Pharaoh's wife. That's blessing, man. Yeah? She was in her 80s, and, and he thought she was the hottest thing in Egypt. No, no, no. That's regeneration. That's what the blessing does. Stop looking in your mirror and going, oh, I'm looking old, and cursing yourself. So we've got to stop seeing when they Look in the mirror and say, I'm a child of God. I'm under the covenant. My, my body's renewed every day. Because that's in the covenant. It's in the word. I challenge you to find it. It's in there. Regenerated. She was, she was looking, you know, she was pushing 80. And she's the best looking woman around. So anyway, Pharaoh comes and says, you lied to me. She's your wife. And he goes, yeah, well, I didn't want you to kill me, you know, all this stuff. And so you would think that if someone lies to you, you would go, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. Well, he did say that. And then gave him silver, gold, cattle, and so on. And you see they're going, huh? The guy lied his head off and he got blessed. You know why? Because he's got a covenant. He's got a covenant. That's what covenant does. You can stuff up and still get blessed. 
That's what God does. You just got to expect it. Anyway, where are we up to? 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods. In the fruit of your body, increase your livestock, produce for your ground, in the land he swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open up to you his good treasure, the heavens to give rain in your land in season, and bless all the work of your hand. You will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Why don't you borrow? Because you don't need to. When you're lending to nations, not lending to your neighbour, you're lending to nations. You know, Bolivia comes and says, hey, Sharon, we need you to help pay off our debt. She says, sure, here's a billion dollar loan. And we go, yeah, yeah, that's how God thinks. How do I know it? He just said it there. You lend to nations. That's how God thinks. So we've got to stop thinking small. We're trying to pay off our debt and he's telling us to lend it. The Lord should make you the head, not the tail, above only. I like that. Above only. There's no other option but being above and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them and not turn aside and so on. That's a pretty cool list, isn't it? Better than the other one? That's the covenant we have. That's the agreement you have. That is how God sees you. His side of the agreement says that. Our side of the agreement says the rest of the chapter. We bring the rest of the chapter to the agreement. He brings the first 28 verses. That's your covenant agreement with God. So you've got to stop looking at yourself and going, oh. Now, if you're not seeing this in your life, there's a couple of things you need to do. First off, you need to change how you think. And stop seeing yourself like the rest of the chapter and start reading the first part of the chapter. And go, this is me. And put it in the first person. I am the head, not the tail. I'm above only, not beneath. I am without debt. In fact, I'm so rich, I lend to other people because they need it. Any sickness that comes my way can't even hang on my body. In fact, I'm so blessed, my blessing overflows to everyone around me. So happened with Abraham, Lot got blessed because he was next to Abraham. Yeah? That's the sort of person you want to be. Your neighbours are doing well because you're on their street. Where you work does well because you work for them. So you've got to change how you think, first off. Second thing, if you're not seeing it in your life, is go back to God and say, what am I doing wrong? Because he's probably told you to do something and you're not doing it. And that's stopping the blessing coming in your life. Because it says to be willing and obedient, you get the best of the land. It's not just being obedient, you've got to be willing as well. It's not just being willing, willing, it's also being obedient. Sometimes we go, yeah, God, I'll do anything. And God says, yeah, yeah, God, I'll do it. And you never get to doing it. You're willing, but you're not obedient. Other times it's like, oh, I have to do that? Okay, I'm doing this, God. I'm letting you know that I'm, you know, I'm doing this. <laughs> have you ever done that? Okay, I'll go and talk to that person. All right, I'll make that meal. All right, I'll do this. You know, letting God know that it's a big suffering thing for you, that you are letting, you know, you're out there and you tell everyone around you, you know, oh, yes, I'm doing this. That's not willing. You've got to be willing and obedient to eat the best of the land. It's attitude as well as action. It's how you think, 
how you act, and your attitude. It's what's down here. That's why you've got to put the Word of God in every day. That's why you've got to hang in the presence of God every day because then you step into that covenant. You see, this is the power of taking communion every day, of when you get this cup. But when you take this cup, don't spill it on the floor. But when you take this, this is why I say take this every day. Because you should be able to look at this cup and go, in this cup is all the wealth I need. In this cup is all the breakthrough that I need. In this cup is all the healing that I need. In this cup is everything I need to overcome any situation that comes my way. In this cup, nothing is impossible for me. In this cup is revelation of the mysteries from God. In this cup is heaven. Because it's blood. It's not whatever's in there, grape juice or wine or port or whatever else. It's blood. That's why he said you've got to drink my blood. Because they would drink the blood. They would use blood, swap blood as a covenant. Because a blood covenant is the strongest covenant there is. So do this every day to remind yourself of the covenant you have. Not just, oh, I'm in him and he's in me and yeah, okay, I just remember that God's good to me and, and you know, I might get through. No, no. Take the blood and shove it in the devil's face. Take the blood and take it to heaven and go, God, I remind you of the agreements. So I sit here before you, I lay my debts before you, I lay sickness before you, I lay sin before you, I lay anything in my life and I plead the blood of Jesus over it now in the name of Jesus. I plead it afresh every single day and I step into all God has for me and I say to you, God, reveal to me the mysteries of heaven. Reveal to me your plan for my life today and I commit myself to doing it because that's my part of the agreement. Yeah? Yeah? That's what the covenant is. That's what the cup is. That's why Darwin said, you went to God and said, how do we get through this? There's a table with the cup. Because it's the blood of Jesus that seals the deal. And when you're feeling like you're under it, you feel like you're not above, you are beneath, and you feel like the world is crashing around you, just step into heaven and say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus when your body's screaming at you with sickness, when your bills are screaming at you saying we need to be paid, when relationships around you are falling apart or your work situation's a mess, just plead the blood of Jesus. Just stand and say, I plead the blood of Jesus. It's no longer I that lives, but Jesus lives in me, and this is a Jesus problem. So I plead the blood of Jesus, yeah? You want to add? Cool, that's powerful. Let's stand. Let's link up around the room. Everyone step in a little bit so we can do this. See, those nachos smell good. I think we should ban all food that smells good in church. All right, link arms, link arms. Because you've got to remember, guys. You've got to remember this. Come on in, Sharon. Come on in, Sharon. It's important. That'll wait, Sharon. That'll wait. It's just food. We've got spiritual food. Like Jesus said, when you eat spiritual food, you don't need the other stuff. I tell myself that.
All right. So the thing is, the covenant we have is with God and with each other. All right? So the blessings on you goes on to the blessing of the person next to you and the person next to you and the person next to you and it keeps going around. And the great thing of being in a circle is it comes back. Yeah? But the blessing of the person next to you also comes on you. Yeah? Let me pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe in our heart. Let me put this in anything. Father, in the name of Jesus, we believe in our heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We make him Lord of our life now with the confession of our mouth. Okay, let's try that again. We make him Lord of our life now with the confession of our mouth. Jesus is Lord, yeah? Thank you. No, just when you need to. We are his and he is ours. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Sickness has to depart. Disease has no part in us. Poverty is no longer in our house. For we are redeemed from the curse of poverty. We are a believer and not a doubter. We have the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God darkness is over. The storms of life will no longer be victorious over me. Jesus is my intercessor. The Spirit of God strengthens me. You, God, are my very own Father. And we praise your name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.